Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first overcome our internal self by focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. This podcast offers inspiration, strength, and hope through the tools of recovery, spirituality, and positive psychology. I started RecoverYourSoul.net after having profound changes in my life in my recovery from alcoholism and control addiction. I was guided to share these tools with others through this podcast and personal coaching. Personal recovery does not need an addiction to use the tools and principles to better our lives and transform just the desire to make positive changes and grow. As an ordained minister, I continue to study and deepen my relationship with the spiritual principles that have brought me peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. I know that together we can do the work that will recover your soul. Welcome back to Recover Your Soul. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that you've joined me. Thank you very much. I have a little bit of a head thing going on. I'm not sure if it's the smoke in the air from all the fires or uh, allergies or something going on. So I've got a little bit of a nasal congestion going on, but it's not going to stop me from talking. So what am I going to talk about today? So I want to talk about marriage. I wanted to talk about me and the evolution of my marriage and some of the things that I've learned. People have asked me and in coaching, we've come around to some of these topics. And and I also was inspired because Rich and I helped officiate a wedding a couple weekends ago. And we were so honored that this couple had asked us to officiate their wedding. And the funny thing is they didn't even know that I'm now an ordained minister. They were really inspired to have us officiate for them because they respected our marriage, that we had been through so much together and come out the other side even better. And part of what I wrote in the wedding was that on that day when you get married, you can only see the good. You look in the eyes of your beloved and you just see nothing but pure love pure love and connection and just hope and expectation and the belief in the forever after fairy tale. And it all is just so beautiful. Can't imagine that the hard times will come and that you need to remember those days. You need to remember those times. My mother always said, keep a picture of your wedding very prominent in your home. And in the wedding, I said the words, Remember 
this day and choose love. Choose happiness over being right. Choose happiness over being right. There's that sign that I've seen that says, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? And interestingly enough, that really has been a foundation when I look back on a lot of my own personal suffering, that being right was more valuable than being happy. But of course, it's more complicated than that. And I think that there's so many layers to marriage and relationship and so many complexities and that I have to just call out that being in the place where I am now at 51 years old and having my children be in their early 20s and having moved away and being independent is a huge, huge relief in terms of our relationship and how our dynamics are. So I understand as listeners, you are all each in your own different layers of complexity. And what I think that I kind of want to really talk about is all we have control of is ourselves, right? So when we start to think about other people, when we start to try to manipulate our spouses or or our children or our friends or the situations or anything in our lives. And we try to make it so that we have some level of control. We're actually separating ourselves from the flow of the universe. And I did that in my marriage. And so when I think back and I look back at those beginning years of two young people, 22 and 25, we were just starting to get an idea of who we were as humans. We'd had experiences, we'd had relationships, we'd had a heartbreak, we'd left our homes with our parents, we we were young adults, and yet we were just starting out. And there's some gratitude that I have that we found each other when we were still so young and pliable, so young and pliable, and yet a hard-headedness came pretty soon for me. And I think it was because I had in my mind some idea of what I wanted. And I think expectations and storytelling and, and the fables that we learn that I had created something. And my parents had been divorced when I was eight. So it wasn't that I had this relationship solid relationship of parents that I was trying to remake, it was almost like I wanted to do something totally different, that I wanted to have that dream actually happen for me, that, mm, wow, what am I thinking? The stability, the stability of some having somebody really deeply love you for yourself was so important to me. Yet, I know that I was so lost kind of in who I was, and that I had learned how to chameleon so much in my life that I wasn't sure how to be in the relationship. And so those expectations and my inability to know who I was started this cycle of I think wanting something different than what it actually was. 
And so I think we all do that. We start in those early relationship parts where we we see only the the cuteness. I mean, I just thought I just thought Rich was the most handsome man I had ever looked at. Like my eyes just could not believe that I had ended up with such a handsome, cute guy. And he was so smart and he was so good at every single thing that he did. He was great at sports and he was, he was intelligent and he was top of his class in the university and he was artistic and he just was so good at everything. Those things, when we're first starting out, whatever those things are, the list that we have, we want somebody who's honest. You find someone who's really honest. You want somebody who's, who's powerful. You you have to find someone who's powerful, whatever those things are that you're searching for. And then we don't really know when we're starting out that there's a whole lot more that we might need later. But how would we know that? So when Rich and I first started out, it was pretty smooth sailing. It was pretty sweet and tender, and we were very compatible. And I'm, I'm trying to sort of digest with myself when I started to have, well, I actually do know. Okay. So I really think that things started to make the shift. And if you've heard my alcohol story about my own recovery, a big shift happened in our alcoholism. Our big shift happened when he went off and um, did a construction project for the family, which had him be away from the house during the week. And then he would come home on the weekends. And this is when we had our oldest son was a toddler and I was pregnant with our youngest son and when he was born. So it was, you know, it is an intense time to not have your husband around. But what I don't really want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is my expectations, my realizing that I myself had in my mind what I wanted a perfect, happy family to look like. And it was not starting to look like that. And the thing that I really can see now that I, if I was to go back and change something that I would go back and change is that I started to not see the good. I started to only see the things that were the irritant to see the problem. And if you believe in any metaphysics at all, any new thought, what you think and feel and believe is what you get. So when I look back, I can, I can see that I was manifesting on some level and it can be really hard to like, think this, to take responsibility and say, I have a part in creating the life that I have, especially when your life doesn't feel good. But I feel like I held on so much to what I wasn't getting, to what wasn't working out for me, what wasn't what I needed, wasn't what I wanted, that I lost the ability to actually speak clearly about what I did need, what I did want, what what boundaries I needed, what what was missing, how to have that closeness, how to have that connection. 
And then, of course, you're in the space where you've got young kids and young kids take up everything. I mean, if you you lose yourself when you have children. I talked to somebody recently in a counseling session, and he's um, in his late 60s. And he was thinking, you know, maybe I should have some kids. Is it too late to have kids? And I said, you know, kids are really hard. And it was as if he hadn't ever heard that before. That for 20 years, you basically lose yourself. Your entire world is dedicated to raising these kids. And it was a perspective that he hadn't really seen. Not that having children isn't wonderful, but it is hard, 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 hard work. And I think that I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Now that I say that, I didn't have any brothers or sisters. My growing up was fairly simple as an only child of a single mother who was very even keel, I don't think that I really understood the complexity of parents and kids and relationships. Somewhere in it, I had learned how to be a good, good girl. My mom was a sweet, nice mom. We just didn't have that level of chaos But I think that for most people, it is all consuming and chaotic. And so when it turned into that, I was confused. I was kind of lost. Like, why is it moving in this direction? Why is it like this? Because it's not what my fairy tale was telling me. And then we're already at the point where, you know, Rich is a man and he would like to have more intimacy and I'm an exhausted mom, and I just don't have the energy for it. And that level of union and connection is really important. But I don't think I understood that at that time. I don't think I had the bandwidth for it at that time. And the truth is that when you don't feel emotionally supported as a woman, it's very hard then to give yourself over in an intimate way to your spouse. It's like those two things need to be melded together to have that connection. And so the wheels now are starting to kind of fall off the bus a little bit that that looking in each other's stargazed eyes when we got married, those hard times are here. And of course, that lends to more drinking since we were alcoholics. But what I observe in some relationships that I hear people talking about is that keeping score, you know, it's like you you start to keep score about whether somebody puts their clothes in the hamper, or they don't put the clothes in the hamper, or they put the dish in the dishwasher, or they don't put the dish in the dishwasher, or they picked up milk, or they didn't pick up milk, or they take the trash out, or they don't take the trash out. There's all this humanness There's all this life that has to be had and there's gender roles and there's the complications of like, who makes the money and how do we all make this all work? And, and is someone checked out and why does someone get to watch TV while somebody else is working? And it's very complex. And so then it starts getting into the, I want to be right. I want to be justified for my time and effort, and I want equal time and effort applied back to me for my time and effort. And then we start getting resentments. And then those resentments 
start to do the thing where you start pulling back. And then somebody's reaching out for intimacy and the other person is saying, no, I don't feel safe. I'm not interested. I don't want it. And the more that that intimacy starts to separate out, the more you start to separate. So how did I come back? Because there were years, full years, where there was such frustration on my part about such little things. And now that I'm in this whole other place, I can see that the happy is the most important part, not the being right, the being happy, the being flexible, the being present, the seeing the good things and letting the other stuff go. But it takes a major shift. And for us, one of those major shifts was learning how to speak to each other in different ways. And it was about creating safety in our relationship. For so long in our marriage, with the drinking and with me being a non-recovered Al-Anon person, not only an alcoholic, but a codependent and and totally untreated Al-Anon, I spent all my time pointing my finger outward. That if, if Rich would change, if my husband would change, if he would just do things different, then it would be different. And I didn't take responsibility for myself. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't stuff that he did that was not okay. And that's a whole other ball of wax to talk about boundaries and um, amends and, and like the forgiveness and that whole piece. There was, there was no person in our relationship that was the angel and the other one was the saint, not even a little bit. No, angel and saint. That's not what I meant to say. Where one was the angel and one was the devil. (laughs) That's right. So we were, we both played major roles in how the relationship went. And, but I want to just speak for myself. So for myself, I spent a lot of time wishing and wanting him to be different. So the safety piece came when we both wanted to make a change. And we worked with um, a couple people in particular. One was a was a coach, a relationship coach, and another one was a recovery coach. And both of those people helped us to stop blaming, helped us to stop spending all of our time and energy telling the other person what they were doing, something wrong, and turning the focus back to ourselves, which is what we talk about in soul recovery. The only thing we have control of is ourself. So turning that focus back to ourself and learning how to speak to each other in I statements. So instead of saying, when you don't take out the trash, why can't you take out the trash? I'm so pissed off that you, I've asked you a million times to take out the trash and it's already Friday morning and you haven't taken the trash out. Well, that doesn't make anybody want to help take out the trash, right? But if I say, I'm feeling frustrated because we've talked about who's going to take out the trash and you made an agreement that you would take out the trash. And so I just feel like I'm disrespected. I'm not seen that it's not valuable, that I'm not valuable. And that's kind of a silly um, example. But when you talk about your own feelings, 
it changes it to the blame. And then the other person is then listening to what your feelings are. And maybe you don't even know what your feelings are. Maybe the truth is the starting feeling is that you're just pissed that it's Friday morning and the cans out aren't out on the street and that you guys have talked about it again and again and again. So it's a, it's a way of coming to yourself. So I learned how to turn to myself and say, what is that feeling? What am I, I'm feeling dismissed. I'm feeling like I have to do everything. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I don't have a, any help. I'm feeling like um, I am not valuable enough for somebody to step up and do that for me. And then those feelings all have feelings underneath. Like why, why is that happening? Why is that deep in there? What is going on underneath that level? And so when you end up talking to your spouse, then you're not actually talking about the trash cans. You're really talking about the other stuff. You can find a space where each of you has an interest in hearing about the underneath stuff. The why don't I feel valuable? Why do I feel like I have to do everything? Where else in my life is that coming up? Where else in my life has that experience been that I'm the one that feels like I have to do everything? Oh, I actually am not trusting. I don't trust you. I'm not actually trusting my higher power. I'm not actually trusting. I don't trust. And it's not actually about the trash. It's really about my heart. And then in general, when you have that vulnerability with each other, that person that you looked at on that day that you said your wedding vows, that person sitting there, standing there, looking at you again. And one of the other major things that happened is that we stopped talking over each other. And I started to really listen. And I started to quit thinking that I needed to solve his problems while he was talking. And I just started to listen. And I just started to hold space. And the more that we did that, the more we were better listeners. And the more that it wasn't about being right. The more that it was about I statements the safer our relationship came. So 29 years later, it's as if we are those first kids at 22 and 25 who have a curiosity about the other person. I'm curious what's going on with him. And then for me, I think that a lot of what's changed is that my flexibility and my patience and my humor has overtaken that need that I had for my life to be and look a certain way. And the more that I have let go, I mean, really let go. I'm talking about trash because I just pulled the trash cans down to the street the more my heart's open and I don't have a resentment, I don't care. 
I don't care. Because I want us, I want us to be connected. I want us to be a hundred percent like partners, life partners. And when I quit being irritated at the little things and I start seeing all the little things that I wasn't looking at, I can see more little things that I wasn't looking at. I can see how he provides for me, not just money. So often we get caught up in the money thing, like who makes the money in the family? We're partners, we're a team. And a team needs to run a household. And that includes money and includes all the chores and includes all the emotional stuff and includes all the stuff that we have to do. To run a household well means that you need all hands on deck. But we don't quit our jobs. We don't quit our relationships unless the management isn't working, unless the relationships aren't working. And people will stay for low wages in a great job when they feel supported and seen and loved and valued. And people will stay in marriages that, that maybe you don't have a lot when you love each other and you value each other and you see each other. So it's not just about providing the money. It's about providing support. It's about letting go of who's right and choosing happiness and starting to see every single time something small that is a benefit that is a provided you support provides you love provides you connection provides you intimacy provides you laughter and then you let them know what they provided for you and you open up to the possibility of more intimacy in other ways whatever is your relationship's intimacy And that you don't have to be looking for somebody to do it wrong. Pick, 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 pick. Nobody wants to be picked at. And I think about how easy it feels to be in my home now. And it didn't used to feel like that. It used to feel like eggshells. Because we were both waiting for the other person to start picking at each other. And I, I don't know what my big change was for myself. But I know that I stopped being kind of a crabby shrew, kind of a bitchy crabby shrew. And I started being lighthearted. And I started thanking him for all the little things. And I started not caring about a lot of little things. I started letting a lot go. Because it's not about keeping track of who picks up this or who does the dishwasher or who does that. The more I say, thank you for doing this, the more he actually does it. The more he says, thank you for doing something, the more I do it because I want, I want to, I want him to be happy and he wants me to be happy. And again, not drinking, being in recovery being in a space where we really have our spiritual life as the forefront Spending time not fixing each other, but listening, not fixing each other, not having the answer, not piping up with how it should be done different. A lot, a lot of being quiet 
a lot of listening. I have found that if you just stop talking and let them talk, they'll actually say, I'm done talking now. I'd never gotten to that part where they actually will say, and that's all I had to say. So it's like night and day, and it's not like there's a magic wand because there are definitely days that are harder than others. And I can see myself creep back up into resentment and irritation. And generally, when I come back and look at myself, take it back to me. What do I need to look at? How can I be kinder? How can I be more flexible? Now, I want to definitely say this does not mean that you're a doormat. It does not mean that you let people walk all over you. It does not mean that if you have someone in your life who is actively using and abusing that you allow that to be something that is taking over you. This is really a comp- it's so complicated because it's really about um my relationship and the relationships I've seen where people are both working really hard to get healthy. And even if you have somebody who is unhealthy, you can still practice some of these principles, but it doesn't mean that you give up that aspect of yourself that has clear needs and boundaries of what needs to be done in your life for you to be safe. So that's essential to understand and to know. But there's so many relationships that are good relationships that just start to like fall apart a little bit because of the the picking, because of the keeping tabs, because of the wanting it to be a certain way, because of the fairy tale isn't the way the fairy tale is. So just be here now. Just be present. Listen to what they're saying, not what you think they're saying have the best intention at heart. When they say something, the intention, try to hear the best of it. Don't let yourself hear the worst of it. Be helpful. Be helpful to each other. Allow them to help you. Allow them to do it their way. If they start the project and they've started a certain way, let it go that way. Be patient. Be loving. Be kind choose happiness over being right. Until next time. Namaste. Thank you for listening. And I hope this episode offers you tools, guidance and inspiration on your journey to recover your soul. For more information, please visit the website recoveryoursoul.net. There you can find out more about Rev Rachel, book coaching or spiritual counseling sessions, read the blog, listen to music, connect to social media, as well as subscribe to receive email updates. We thank you for supporting the production of this podcast by donating on the homepage. And by following, subscribing, and reviewing this podcast, you're helping to spread the Recover Your Soul message. We hope that you'll follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the private Facebook group to become part of this transformational community.
The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.